0: For JD Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com/awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. You're listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. Brighten your day with a book.
1: Hello, my fellow bookworms. This is Philippa from QuickBook Reviews. How are you all? Are you all well? I am, I think, which is good, good. although something happened to me today, as it often does, and I was telling somebody about it, and after they had guffawed quite rightly, when I told them what had happened, they said, well, at least it's something to say on the podcast, and I said, absolutely, you couldn't make this up, so... I'm afraid we're going to talk about a subject and the title of it is dog poo. So if that's not something to your liking, well, it's not to anybody's liking, is it? But if if you can't cope with that, just fast forward a couple of minutes. Otherwise, stay with, bear with. Um, So it was time for a dog walk and I'm always very good, always have lots of different poo bags with me. Every pocket of every walking coat, everything. Yes, you get the picture. So we started on the dog walk, all was fine. The dog produced Item one, we'll call it, and I got a poo bag out and that was dealt with. Uh, the dog produced a short while later item two and I produced a bag and that was fine. And then we reached what I would say was probably the furthest point away from home on this walk when the dog produced item three. And I thought, no, that's absolutely fine because I've got a whole new roll of poo bags here in my pocket, went in to get them. They were not there. I tried every pocket, not that I have that sounds like I've got a coat with about thirty pockets. I don't, but anyway there there was not a poo bag inside. I had no poo bags, and this was in a residential area, shall we say, um so certainly people would have been aware of what was going on and um. And I had to take evasive action straight away. You know, I couldn't walk home to get the poo bags and walk back. I think by that time, someone would have dialed 999 and there'd be a citizen's arrest for me littering the place. So we had to do something. <laughs> so what what can you do when you have nothing? I didn't have a tissue in my pocket. There was nothing. And um, in the distance, I'd say quarter of a mile, there was a bin. So I knew if I could just get the the item, the third item um, into, into the bin would be okay. It was just the traveling that was going to be the issue. So I looked around and I couldn't find anything. Anyway, I went and harvested some leaves and had a little competition to find the largest leaves possible. And when I found these largest leaves, I had to collect Well, I call it item three, but let's just say item three consisted of three separate items. So there were a number of leaves um, carrying these these goods, these items. And then I had to. Well, it was sort of a run to the bin, but I didn't want to run so fast that the items might fall and we'd have to start all over again. So it, 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 it was an embarrassing jollop. I think we can say to the bin. And uh yes, and the items were duly dispatched. So I have not been arrested. I've not committed any crimes, thank goodness. And uh I, uh, I just thought, why? And so now, uh, honestly, I'm going to be taking out in future 20 rolls of poo bags every day because I don't want to have to go through that again. And what would I have done if there hadn't been substantial leaves around? Oh, I don't know. Anyway, though, there- There we go. That's my day. How's yours going? Is it going as well as mine? Well, at least we've got some great books to talk to you about. But before I get started on that, I need to just mention the lovely Facebook group. More of you are joining, which is absolutely fantastic. We're we're a small select group, so you'll be very welcome. Um, But on there, we've got uh, Janine is reading The Familiars by Stacey Halls. Johan's reading How to Disappear by Gillian McAllister. Love that book. Lauren's reading Daisy Jones and the Six by Taylor Jenkins Reid. Love that book. Uh, Leslie's reading Mine by S.L. Butler. I haven't read that one. Sally's reading Going Green by Nick Spalding. I've read some of Nick's, but not that one. Connie's reading Girl, Woman, Other by Bernadine Everisto, of course. And we had a, a book by Bernadine last week, no less. Um, Laura's reading The Thursday Murder Club by Richard Osman. Heidi's just finished The Midnight Library by Matt Haig. Uh, Deb is reading The Remembered Girl by Eliza Maxwell. Yona's reading The Thursday Murder Club. And Jason is reading Fifty Fifty by Steve Kavanagh. Well done, Jason! Fab, fab book, fab author. Uh, so, what books are we going to talk to you about today? Well, hold your horses, hold your chairs, hold anything that you can hold, because we've got some good ones. So, the first book is called Watch Her Fall by Erin Kelly. And we're actually going to be talking to Erin a little bit later on, which is very exciting. Then we've got "Look What You Made Me Do" by Nikki Smith. Um, it's the second book that Nick is uh, written, and that it's yes, it's a good book. Can't wait to tell you about that one. Then we've got "The Source" by Sarah Sultan, "Dreamland" by Rosa Rankin G, "The Novel Cure." Now this is. This is going to be an interesting one by Ella Bertout and Suzanne Elderkin and Enter the Ardvark by Jessica Antony. Gosh, quite a selection, but we've got six books there. Um, and I think there, there will be a, at least a couple that you will be wanting to to acquire quite soon. Um, so let's start with Watch Her Fall before we talk to Erin. So, Erin. Um, you probably know, I th- I rate Erin very much. I love her books. They're always unpredictable. They're always slightly different. She's not um, a, a real static genre, I would say. Uh, and what she brings is great writing. Um, and I heard that this one was going to be about the ballet industry. Well, I had to dust my points off to uh, to read this one. Um The blurb is quite simple uh, or the blurb that I've been given is quite simple. Watch her rise after years of blood, sweat and tears. Ava finally has the ballet world at her feet. But away from the spotlight, whispers backstage make her lonely and paranoid. Watch her fall because someone is watching her from the wings. Someone who wants what she has, wants it so badly that two people will pay with their lives. Well, as I say, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I thought it was phenomenal. And what I liked about it is that it challenged me. It wasn't a oh, here's a crime or here's the setup of a thriller. And this is how it's all going to be resolved. It was a book that really kept me guessing, kept me guessing what sort of book it was, kept me guessing what was going on, how it was going to end who to trust, what to trust, um, are really good. It's not, it's not a book to read if you just want an ABC crime book, fine. Um, but if you want something, as I say, that just challenges you, something a bit meaty and different to get into, then this is absolutely worth considering. It's just, um, it's just an extraordinary book. And I think the best thing to do is to talk to Erin now. So Erin, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It is my pleasure. I was so excited to talk to you about about this book. I mean, it's not your average read. It's such a special, precise, exquisite book. I mean, it's as as exquisite as the ballet it it portrays, I think. But let's start with the basics. Are, Are you an experienced ballerina? It seems to be, you seem to have all the knowledge. No,
0: well, uh, like lots of little girls, I did take lessons as a child, but I stopped budding around a church hall in a tutu when I was about seven or eight. <laughs> and um, and I've been, I guess, uh, a casual interest in ballet, which I would call, you know, Covent Garden once a year at Christmas with my mum <laughs> and and love ballet. But actually, the ballet plot of the book didn't come until I'd already been writing it for about six months, which which sounds um Wow. insane it feels I mean or, or should I say there was an early draft of the book with no ballet in it that never really made it past uh never really made it off the starting block um the premise of the book to begin with was very different to the book I ended up with and it was about a woman in isolation who had an affair with a security guard and together they Did something. I I didn't know where it was going but I for ages I couldn't work out and it was inspired by um, I live near not in I hasten to add but near a bit of a millionaire's road that's got its own security force and so you see these black cars driving around very very slowly looking after houses with nobody in them and I've always just Mm. found that very interesting and quite sinister Mm. and I couldn't work out why the woman was isolated and I couldn't work out why she needed the security guard to help her do something and then I thought well she's probably got an injury what if she's a dancer and from then the security guard became almost the backstory to the book and the ballet just took over and with every draft that I wrote uh the ballet part came to the front. And when I showed it to my editor, I did something i would never done before with Watch Our Fall, which was that I showed my editor what I call a dirty draft. So that is a version of the book that I know isn't finished and that you know, doesn't have pretty sentences and doesn't hang together. I knew there were plot holes and I'd been looking at it for so long. And this was all during lockdown one or with the pandemic approaching anyway. So nobody had any perspective about anything um, I gave it to her and I just said tell me what's working tell me what you think this book is about I, I just need some new eyes and she came away listing the importance of events or listing the importance of the themes and and the ballet world was right at the bottom of her list and as she said that I said no well the ballet is the main thing about it and that wasn't the book that I'd given her so I went away and pretty much burned it to the ground and and wrote it again from scratch and this time I understood that it was a ballet thriller and it flowed out of me I don't know why this book had such a difficult gestation well I do actually I can tell you why exactly Um, because when I wrote my every time I've written a novel I've been really lucky in that somewhere around the halfway mark the next book starts to make itself known So I always have not a plot, but I always have an idea about what it's going to be like. So when I was writing, he said, she said, I knew that my next book would be about an abandoned psychiatric hospital, which became uh, Stone Mothers. But when I was writing Stone Mothers, I didn't have an idea. I had a contract and a deadline and I didn't have an idea beyond thinking that security guards might be quite interesting people to base a thriller around And Mm. so what I was doing was sort of trying to force something that in the past had always come very organically, hence the kind of, you know, sort of ramming a square peg into a round hole for ages. And as soon as my editor told me that she didn't think it was about ballet, primarily, it it was almost, I don't know if she's a very clever person, maybe it was a bit of reverse psychology. (laughs) But in fact, this is a book exactly all about ballet and everything everything about it. There isn't a scene now that you can extract from the ballet world, I don't think, which is a very long winded way of saying that um, to do the research for the novel, I started again almost from scratch. So I started where I always begin, which is a bookshop. Mm -hmm. And I read memoirs and the history of ballet. There's an incredible amount of uh, interesting resources online. Most of the major ballet companies in the world now will have Backstage footage, rehearsal footage, especially since the pandemic, you can join in a ballet class. Um, They'll broadcast them on YouTube, um, interviews with their stars. You can see people workshopping things. So you can see choreography as it happens. Um, lots Lots of individual dancers on their Instagram accounts or other social media channels will show you what it's like when they rehearse. They will show, you know, they will take great joy in taking off their... Shoes at the end of a performance and showing you the blood on the toe. Um, but I read a lot of memoirs as well. What I didn't read, because what there is a dearth of, is adult novels about ballet. There's only one serious novel set in the ballet world for adults that I could find I might be wrong and I might have missed them, but I, you know, I spent a year living and breathing ballet um, and it's fantastic. It's called Astonish Me by Maggie Shipstead. And she is a, a true ballet fan. And I, when I read that, I thought, this is how good my knowledge has to be because her book felt like it was written by a dancer. I um, so I, I mean, there's a gazillion YA books and little girl books, yeah. but there's nothing um, apart from Astonish Me that I couldn't find another adult novel on the subject. And to get that extra level of inside information that you just can't do from books, although books are of course the most important thing in the world, even they have their limits. Um, I worked with a couple of dancers as consultants. So um, uh, Mariana Rodriguez from the Northern Ballet and Matthew Broadbent from the Scottish Ballet were both on hand to answer my questions. I would always think they were dumb questions, but they would always, whenever I asked what I thought was a dumb question, they would come back and say, oh, I'm so glad you asked that because it's a misconception and now we can set it right and they both read my manuscript for me as well when it was finished and the bits that I got wrong they were yeah. able to tell me about so I couldn't have done it without them
1: and I love the way it's so clever how you sort of set the book in in acts with a, a prelude and an encore and I, it's just so different and, and I think everyone just has to trust you that you as an author can will deliver the story and just just go with it, just as you sit down to watch a ballet and you're trusting the director and the performers to interpret in, in their own way.
0: Yeah, well, I think that's always the case, especially with suspense fiction, um, because by definition in a book like mine, so I write psychological thrillers, they are very psychological. I I take pride in kind of playing with my readers' minds a little bit, And I know that I have a readership now who will understand when I cut away and I leave you in the lurch in one act, then I will come back and these these kind of cliffhangers won't stay that way forever. And people who know my books now do know that um, I am very interested by structure. I'm a real story geek. I really love playing with timelines and viewpoints, and working out the best way to create suspense and Mm. not just to create suspense on the page by kind of, you know, what's the creaking floorboard? What's the noise behind you? But also to create suspense by constantly posing new questions on every page. Mm. And uh, I suppose one good thing about, so each act is, if it doesn't have a different narrator, then it certainly switches to a different time or place or viewpoint, Mm. Um, each one, Raises its own questions and uh, leaves certain questions
1: unanswered. And and as a reader, just thinking, wow, it's just just like the, the thump of a curtain coming down at the end of an act, and you're left thinking, what, what? It's twisted and turned. It was, it felt like that. In the well, moment. that was the intention. So I'm I'm glad I'm glad it landed. Oh, definitely. So was the ending? We won't talk about the ending, but in general terms, was the ending? always set in your mind even though you've been altering the story or did that change as you went through it
0: funnily enough because the beginning was rewritten more times than any other part of the book um the ending was the for a long time the ending was the only part of the book I was absolutely sure about there is um so I think it's I call it the encore in the novel And it's only a couple of pages long, but there is a reveal and a mood and a few answered questions. And I knew that whatever I did, I wanted to end up exactly there, which was really helpful when I was struggling because uh, that destination made me much more able to decide between two different courses of action. And that the more books I write, the more writer's block when it occurs, comes not from not from not knowing what to do, but from knowing that there are three or four directions I could take this in now. I think because, so uh, Watch Her Fall is my eighth novel, and the more you write, or in my experience, the more I have written, the more it becomes about craft and experience, as well as, you know, the magic and the inspiration. And, So I can see things slightly more mechanically than I used to be able to. So whenever I would be faced with, well, I could take my characters down this road or this one. It was very helpful to consider, well, which one will make the ending have the most resonance and which one will feed into that ending in a way that teases the reader
1: but isn't unfair to them. And I was going to ask about that because having written quite a few books now, do you think that this is a story you could have actually written as your first book or does it stand on the shoulders of the books that have come before it?
0: Yeah, every book stands on the shoulders of the book that came before it. When I look at my first novel now, The Poison Tree, which I'm very fond of. I mean, that book was really good to me and it it launched my career. But I remember tearing my hair out about plot points that now seem laughably simple, things that I would now know exactly what to do about them, and I remember going for long, angsty walks and agonizing and agonizing. Is it okay to use a letter as a plot device? Is it okay that I don't necessarily strictly alter the chapters between then and now? All these technical things and now now when when you're talking about kind of technicalities and chapters, I just think do what serves the story. So I've got the confidence now to do what serves the story, do what ask the questions, keep the suspense going without compromising character. But they um I would be very bored if I wrote a book as simple as the poison tree every year for the rest of my life. So I do I do try and raise the stakes to keep myself interested as well as my readers. And you learn so much with every single book and the And the beauty, as well as the tragedy of that, is every time you sit down to begin with, it's almost useless because uh, before Watch Her Fall, He Said, She Said was the hardest book I'd ever written. And I learned a lot of things when writing that book, but the main thing I learned was how to write He Said, She Said. And so then I had to start again with um, Stone Mothers and I had to learn new lessons. And there's also the added, I mean, pro- problem in the context of a luxury of having been contracted to write eight books that I don't want to repeat myself. I particularly don't want to repeat the most recent novel, mm. because that will probably be the one that my readers read beforehand. Um, but I don't want to repeat myself. I don't want things to become formulaic. And that's the challenge. I even have um tiny things like there's certain twists I can't employ anymore but sometimes even whole characters turn up again you know I, I keep writing this sort of fey oversensitive man and this young naive woman and I don't know if that's kind of uh, that my my early reader says you really need to take this up with a the therapist Eric <laughs> there are certain people who who and certain themes that turn up in my books again and again but my books are they're all uh, crime thrillers and I've got a list of murder methods on my study wall because most of most of my books have at least one body count and um, some, some of them just have no so you know well I think well I can't have anyone jumping out of a window in this book because I did that two books ago <laughs> and it's a bit early for another strangulation and actually when I was writing Watch Her Fall the the Death in question, which uh, so the murder at the heart of the book, um, feels so much a part of the book and so much a death that couldn't have occurred in any other way. I only got it by talking to an intern at my publishers who just sat there at a book launch and shouted out all the ways she could think to kill somebody until she hit on that one. And I was like, well, of course, I've never done that to anybody. Oh. and like like many of the conversations I have, uh, it's the kind of chat where I'm very glad I was only surrounded by publishers and other crime writers at the time. Because, you know, if that had just been in Starbucks, I probably would have cleared the place out.
1: It sounds like a surreal form of Cluedo in a way. You know, what? who, who can we kill with what and how? It can be,
0: it can be. And, you, you know, as well as not being repetitive, you also need to make it convincing. You know, it's no good having somebody go you know you can't have a child going around strangling men for example it's got to no, be no. got to be true to the person's character um so yeah there's a, a lot of things you've got to consider when you're killing somebody it's <laughs> <Does your> <laughs> <people> <laughs> the rom-com writers don't know what they're what they're <laughs> so is
1: is writing a release for you or is it actually now after eight books more of a burden to sort of keep delivering
0: Uh, It would never be a burden because it's the best job I've ever had. And Mm. I do think it's a privilege that I can do this as my, I don't have a day job apart from uh, the occasional creative writing teaching gig. So um, I think, I think it would be rude actually to whinge about it. Um, But I equally, it isn't my hobby. I don't do it for fun and I don't do it for catharsis. I... What I get out of it is a sense of a job well done and a state of flow. And mm. um, I mean, I don't enjoy plotting. I think I do it well, but that is the if ever I'm going to whinge about my job, that's when I'm going to do it. Oh, the really. um, The polishing draft is my favorite one when I get to choose the right words and and really get the dialogue absolutely perfect and cut what doesn't need to be there and add the right details. in. that is when it's joyful but I wouldn't no I wouldn't describe it as a release I would describe it as just work I'm lucky to do and that I love.
1: You have been a journalist though does mm-hmm. does that um, encourage you to write to a deadline and, and write wherever you are you don't need a writing room in, in which you, you can get creative?
0: Well I do need a writing room now because I'm so old that if I don't have a special chair and a standing desk <laughs> spine just collapses in on itself vertebrae by vertebra. um what I think rather than deadlines what being a journalist does is it gives you a confidence in front of the blank page so I felt entitled to write and when I'm teaching I often come across people who say I'm not, you know writing isn't for people like me or um nobody I know does this, or do I, you know, do I really deserve the right to do this? And all of those insecurities I got out of the way when I became a journalist. So I did have all those worries. When I first started to write for magazines, I thought, oh, I'm not up to this, you know, classic imposter syndrome. But after 10 years doing that, it was no longer strange to me, the idea of writing for a living as it had been previously. So it didn't seem that I had, It didn't seem big headed or conceited, or like I was reaching too far. It seemed like a perfectly reasonable thing to do. And actually it seemed like the thing that I wanted to do because I was tired of journalism. I was very tired of getting up and reading every single newspaper by nine o'clock so that I would be ready to pitch to the editors. I, I was in the mood for something slower. And my cousin, who is a journalist, made an offhand comment once uh, along the lines of oh if you want to be and if you want to write fiction why don't you just become a journalist they seem to be you know book deals are given out like sweets to people with bylines well they're not uh not with bylines the size that mine were but um yeah so the journalism was only ever a stepping stone and then I found that I really enjoyed it um it also gives journalism gave me research skills um that is uh, and not even research skills, because research is really just knowing the right questions to ask, but it also gave me the confidence to ask. You know, I know that if you want an answer you can't find on Google, university departments are a really good resource and I'm not scared of cold calling somebody I know to be an expert in the subject and asking for five minutes of their time. Um, so I think in a confidence, in in that sense, in the sense of confidence, yeah journalism is helpful but equally if you've never done a
1: day's journalism it doesn't matter a bit you know you're either a writer or you're not that's understandable so if you eight books is, is there anything that still surprises you about the publishing world
0: um yes well what surprises me outside my own career I'm constantly astonished by the books that make it big and the books that don't take, Um, because of course I think my taste is a perfect barometer of how everything should be (laughs) in the world. So When a book that I have absolutely adored doesn't find readership, doesn't find a readership, um, if it doesn't find a readership because the publishers haven't promoted it well, then I get very angry. And if, as very often happens, publishers, market a book with love and money and care and intelligence, and for whatever reason, it still doesn't ignite, then I just feel sad. So the unpredictable and the unfair nature of it, um, Mm. just the fact that for every talented writer who's earning a living, there is an equally, if not more talented writer fitting this around a day job and childcare and goodness goodness knows what else. And I should stop being surprised by that, but I never am. Uh, And I suppose with every novel as well, I get to to see a little more behind the curtain. I've been really lucky in that I've had, so editors move publishing houses Mm. a lot. And when an editor moves, it's not up to the author to choose who their next editor is. Mm. And whenever one of my editors has, has left, I, have been really upset because I've had great working relationships with all of them. But I've also been incredibly lucky that I've got somebody else who is brilliant, but has a different way of working. They're they're very, you know, perhaps one person will be, um, have a slightly more literary eye. Somebody else might be super commercial and somebody else might be an all rounder, some people, like to edit with a microscope and really go at the sentences other editors prefer to take a more structural view and it's really fascinating and they all everybody I've worked with has in a very different way got the best out of me and I've found that fascinating that mm. the even though I've worked with different people they will all tell me a tiny bit about the process that I haven't known um uh, for example I was more involved in the cover design of Watcher Fall than I had been with previous um, books, uh, uh, just because that's the style of this particular editor. And, you know, there was a lot more to and fro on Google Images and um, me sending her pictures of feathers and Natalie Portman in Black Swan, and mm-hmm. I sending her some really bad sketches I did of shoulders. There was a time when we were thinking about having a female figure on the cover, a kind of ballerina shot from mm-hmm. the back. Um, although I love the cover that we've got. It's very stark. It's black, uh, white with black feathers and really bold red type, which I, I think works brilliantly and also is very much in keeping with the minimalist aesthetic of the fictional ballet company in my book. Mm. Um, yeah, so every time there there is something I learn that I didn't know before, and also every time I publish a book, publishing has changed because technology has changed and reading has changed. Mm. I mean, the obvious change this time has been that you know meetings were on zoom and the fancy lunches are all gone and and also everybody's having a nervous breakdown (laughs) that's
1: that's the main thing we're all losing our minds (laughs) yeah but there will
0: always be um there will always be something that's different so um I when the poison tree came out for example psychological thrillers weren't hugely fashionable were hugely popular like they are now so I was published at first into a market that didn't quite know whether to market that book or not market but uh, the media and booksellers weren't sure if this was crime or women's fiction or literary fiction and then we had the summer of Gone Girl and Before I Go to Sleep and all of a sudden psychological thrillers were all anybody wanted and then that kind of super domestic suspense gave way to more of a locked room trend which is what we're seeing now and i was really unfashionable to begin with then briefly super fashionable and now um you know i don't fit into the locked room or the kind of supernatural mashup mm. high concept thing but i will still you know what has remained the same is that the books and the voice that I write them in are, are consistently me. So it's very interesting to, to see the trends and what changes. And I, I wonder what the next uh, next big thing will be in crime fiction, but also for all the talk of trends, good books will always find readers, I think.
1: Absolutely, and uh, that's a great way to end because that's that's what I think Watch Her Fall is. It, it, it's a good book, it's a great book, and I can't wait to see everyone's reactions to it and the you know the, the joy of reading it and seeing other people read it so Erin Kelly thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you Philippa. Well that was very interesting wasn't it fantastic so that was the book Watch Her Fall by Erin Kelly um, and if I've got it right it will be coming out this Thursday. If I've got it wrong, then it's already out or it's been <laughs> delayed. But if I if I've got it right, it's coming out this Thursday. Um, now just out, just published, is the book called "Look What You Made Me Do" by Nikki Smith. Nikki's a friend of the podcast, and we're very grateful for all her support. Um, but that doesn't mean that we just say, "Oh yes, the book's great" without reading it. Um, but I have to say, the book's great. <laughs> it really, it really is. Uh, let me read you the blurb. Two people can keep a secret if one of them is dead. Sisters Jo and Caroline are used to hiding things from each other. They've never been close, taking it in turns to feel on the outside of their family unit, playing an endless game of favourites. Jo envies Caroline's life. Things have always come easy to her. Then a family inheritance falls entirely to Jo, and suddenly Caroline wants what Jo has. But just how far will she go to get it? and and it's great it's a it's a classic thriller in that you you know what you're going to get from this book and it's certainly delivered. I like the twists and turns I like the characters it was easy enough to get into it kept me. Guessing kept me reading. Um, I could visualise it. I, it just delivered on on, on all bases, I, I would say. I just thought it was a, it was a really good book. Um, and I love the cover as well of this sort of front door, slightly ajar and, uh, and a broken window pane. Um, the perfect family has the most to hide. Yes. Excellent. So I thought that was really good. And Nikki, I know some people struggle with their second books. You haven't. You've, you've gone from strength to strength. I thought, well, I'm assuming Nick is listening to this. She may not be. If not, I'm just talking to myself. Um, but if she is listening, Nikki, bravo. Well done. So there we go. That's Look What You Made Me Do by Nikki Smith. Now, the next book is called The Source by Sarah Sultoon. So that's S-U-L-T-O-O-N. Um, and this is this is an interesting one. OK, let's let's do the blurb. A, a young TV journalist is forced to revisit her harrowing past when she's thrust into a sex trafficking investigation in her hometown. 1996. Essex. 13-year-old schoolgirl Carly lives in a disenfranchised town dominated by a military base, struggling to care for her baby sister while her mum sleeps off another binge. When her squaddy brother brings food and treats and offers an exclusive invitation to army parties, things start to look a little less bleak. 2006 London, junior TV newsroom journalist Marie has spent six months exposing a gang of sex traffickers, but everything is derailed when New Scotland Yard announces the reopening of Operation Andromeda, the notorious investigation into allegations of sex abuse at an army base a decade earlier. As the lives of these two characters intertwine around a single defining event, a series of utterly chilling experiences is revealed, sparking a nail-biting race to find the truth and justice um so if if your thing is dark thrillers then i think you would really no, i can't say you would enjoy this you you know it would be a book that you would want to read um and i say you can't enjoy it because for me it's it's a very oh heartbreaking heart-wrenching book it's a book that i couldn't go to sleep until i'd finished just because i knew i wasn't going to be able to sleep I, and if i did my dreams were not going to be good ones so if your if if your essence when you look for a a thriller book is something that is that tests you more that is gritty um that is darker and you know you're happy to read about the sort of subject that that i've just read to you in in the blurb there then um then you may well enjoy it and uh, it's well written it's just a subject that crikey i really um Yeah, it really affected me. Uh, And to to be honest, I thought originally, I don't know why, but I thought the book was about some sort of computer espionage because I don't know, the cover just made me think of that. But now I've read the book, I realise I got that completely wrong. Um, And the cover, you know, very accurately reflects the the story itself. Uh, It's a very brave story and it's well written. So, yes, the source, Sarah Sultun. What would you risk for the truth? There you go. Now, the next book is following, I guess, the gritty, harder end. These are not books that you read to make you feel better. You're not going to read these books and then go off skipping into the sunset. They're books that are going to make you sit down and just think, oh, gosh, I, I reflect on your life, reflect on what you might not be going through or what you're going through. So it, it's that, that sort of theme with this second book. So Dreamland by Rosa Rankin G. Um, and. Uh, It says this. I don't know exactly how long it's been since I last saw you, standing right here in my doorway. Maybe a year and a bit, maybe longer, but it's hard to tell. However long it's been, it's been long enough for me to have forgotten the details of what you looked like. Sometimes I know the edges, how your skin met your hair, but the most important parts, how your face made sense in the middle. I lost that one day. You said that you would come back. You looked me in the eye and said that. But if you had, this is what you would have seen. Soft wood, black cracks, fridges in the road, the broken spines of old rides at Dreamland. Um, it's an extraordinary book, I would say. It's a hard read in that it's a gritty subject. Um, and I said earlier, it's not a it's not a feel good fiction at all. It's slightly dystopian. Um, and it's a very sort of modern tale, modern reflection on, on where we could be in a very short space of time. It's a story about sort of struggles and the sense of belonging and what family is and self, all sorts of things. So if again, if you want something that you need to work hard to, to read, it's not going to give you that feel-good feeling, but it's It's really one to make you reflect on. And we're all different in terms of what we want a book book to do. Um, So if that's your thing, then it really might be one that you would enjoy reading. So Dreamland by Rosa Rankin G. Now, the next book. I don't know how I stumbled upon this, but stumbled upon it. I did. And I am so happy that I did. It's one that you're going to want to buy for yourself and for others. I'll, I'll say that. So. It's called The Novel Cure by Ella Berthold and Suzanne Elderkin. Um, And it says on the cover, it's an A to Z of literary remedies. Now, I've covered this sort of approach in poetry before, but I have never seen one like this for books. So the book is an A to Z of different ailments. Um, I'm just going to open it and I've come at a page with C. And you've got issues such as city fatigue, claustrophobia and can't find a decent cup of coffee. Um, and for all of those, it recommends a book. So if you, you you know, it deals with things like it could be just being too busy. It could be something serious, bereavement, anxiety, um, ill health, all sorts of things. This book will have a book recommendation for you. And not only does it recommend a book, it also gives you a bit of blurb about the book so that I don't think you would waste money on buying a book and then thinking, well, this isn't what I thought it was. If you came across a book suggestion in the novel Cure that rang true to you, I think it it would stand up. Um, I'm trying to find I did look up the one on anxiety, There's anger, anxiety, angst, antisocial, anxiety, yes um and it it just i don't want to read it because i don't like reading bits of books because data protection and all of that copyright i suppose is a problem but straight away it recommends a book that i haven't read and it talks about it um it talks about how there are different causes of anxiety but it says how the first chapter of this book um can help deal with 10 of the 14 causes of anxiety I, I, i'm not giving you enough I know. But equally, I don't want to give you too much. I just think you should buy this book. And if it's your birthday coming up or you're putting together a very early Christmas list, um, this is a book to go on. I think it's just one that you would have and hold forever. And if you're just thinking, oh, I don't know what book to read now, or if this is a an issue that's troubling me, then you can look it up and look at what book to read. And it's a great one for at the library. You know, if you've got this book in your hand and you're thinking, oh, I don't know what book to pick up next in the library, then this could really be be it. It's been it was published a few years ago, so I don't know how I missed this. Um, 2015. How did I miss this? But this is gorgeous. And I'm sorry, if you're a friend of mine and uh, you're you're a bookworm, then prepare yourselves because this is what what you're going to get from me for every sort of Christmas birthday from now on. It's excellent. And it's just one of those books that you, you need to have in your life. And it's always there on, on the pile of books to to read parts of and to help refer it. It's just a book that you can always get things from. Um I would say the majority of the books that it suggests are older ones. but again, I'm not saying that that's a a negative at all. And the trouble is all, <laughs> the good thing is there's always new books coming out. Um, and I think it will work well for me to keep pulling me back to books that have been published for some time, rather than just constantly chasing all the new books. Um, so yeah, I just thought that was great. It's called The Novel Cure. Absolutely fabulous. Um, so there we go. That's a, that's a great book to be reading. I think you can Tell that I liked it. And then the last one is a u- unique book, shall we say, Enter the Aardvark by Jessica Anthony. Um now it's it's not long, 170 pages. Okay, let, let's read the blurb. Alexander Payne Wilson is a politician on a mission to get himself reelected no matter what. Then, one hot morning in August, a gigantic stuffed aardvark arrives on his doorstep. But who sent it? And why? And what is the connection to a Victorian naturalist who went missing years ago? Constantly surprising, brilliantly wry and poignantly provocative. Enter the Aardvark is a truly original tale about love, betrayal and the times we live live in. Um, I enjoyed it. It's very fresh. It's sort of a political satire. Um, 170 pages makes it easy to pick up and keep reading. There were times when I was reading, I just thought, what? What is going on in this story? Um, and again, that's sometimes what we look for in a book. So it's not a, it's not a page turner. It's not your average book, um, but it's something that it's just quite different. And uh, I think um you know if you're looking for something that's really going to be different a little bit ingenious just fresh writing then that might be something uh, that that you'd want and it would certainly be a talking point um if you have it uh, well you you may, by the time you're listening to this you might be able to meet somebody outside i've I'm because I record these slightly in advance slightly in advance um, I wouldn't like to say exactly what you're able to do but at the very least you could hold it up on a zoom call or if you're able to meet someone for a coffee you could have it there and it would be quite a talking point It's a lovely bright mesmerizing book cover um but obviously I'm not encouraging you to do anything that contravenes any laws about what you're (laughs) to do or not. I'm just talking too much, aren't I? I really do. I think I need to stop now because I have taken up a lot of your time. But let's just remind ourselves of the books that we've covered today. So we had Watch Her Fall by Erin Kelly. And I've one definitely going to acquire my ballet points and ballet points again. Do you know, I did ballet when I was young and uh, I... I didn't do well. I think the general observation that the ballet teacher made was that it must be very hard for Philippa. She's the size of an elephant. So that's what I was dealing with in ballet class. Um, but I do remember when I started wearing points, goodness knows why, why they let me go on points. But I started off as a size six, six and a half. And by the time I'd finished on my points, I was a size four. That probably does amount to the fact that I wasn't, I wasn't a thin girl. It's fair to say. Um, so they probably don't have that problem with prima ballerinas. It's probably just just me and my, uh, my, my immense thighs. But there we go. Um, but yeah, so that was, it, it brought me back to wanting to aspire to be a perfect a uh, ballerina, um. But of course, I was nothing like the characters in the book because uh, I wasn't a ballerina in any way. I was not made to be a ballerina, but it, yeah, it did make me want to get some ballet points out again and astound my family with how amazing I am in my mind at ballet. Anyway, enough. So that's one show for and Kelly. Then we had "Look What You Made Me Do" by Nicky Smith good thriller, Nikki. And we had The Source by Sarah Sultan and Dreamland by Rosa Rankin-G. We had The Novel Cure by Ella Berthoud and Suzanne Elderkin. What a great book. And also, we had Enter the Aardvark by Jessica Anthony. So, quite a few there to, to go on. I hope there's something that's appealed to you, quite a selection. And you know what I'm going to say? We've got some amazing books to talk to you about next week. An amazing author interview. Can't wait. Um, so, just take care of yourselves, and I'll see you again very soon. Take care now. Bye bye.
0: You've been listening to the QuickBook Reviews podcast. That's enough books, said no one ever. See you again soon. Hold up.